Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This sermon is taken from the 2012 Annual Missions Conference. This is the morning service of Sunday the 27th of May 2012. Here's Brother Dave Kistler. a blessing to be back at Bethel Free Baptist Church. In fact, when we got on the bus this morning, pastor stopped by and picked up a few folks and a young man got on the bus. He has left the room just a minute ago. But anyway, he looked at me and he said, you talk like an American. That's because I am an American. And I wish I could talk like you folks. I love to hear the British people speak. There is something about it. I don't care where I am in the world. When someone from this country speaks, everybody just tunes in and listens. Uh, you speak with such a beauty of the, the accent. We call it an accent. It's not an accent to you. It's just the way you talk normally. But it's beautiful. I want you to know that. And I wish I could communicate like that. But anyway, I saw Mrs. Mooney this morning and I told her this because it's true. I said... Uh, I remember the first time I met you, and I said, you don't look any older than the first time I met you. She said, I'm going to turn, or already am, 90, she said. And uh, she said, but I don't remember you. Who are you? That's what she said. <laughs> so I made a real impression on her down through the years, haven't I? But anyway, what a sweetheart she is, and what a blessing she is. Can I hear an amen right there? She is a blessing, isn't she? And she doesn't look any older than the first time I met her. She just stayed eternally young. And I see lots of familiar faces and new faces as well. And I want you to know it is an honor, it's a privilege, it's a blessing for our family to be here. And I'm looking forward to today, Monday and Tuesday of this missions conference. And then looking forward to implementing, I trust, what we learned during this conference. That is the, the Curtis family and our family going over to Kenya. I hope you will be praying for that crusade. As I said in Sunday school, it's the culmination now of about two and a half years worth of prayer and planning. And uh, the, the crusade will be conducted under about a 3,000 seat tent. And there's all kinds of things that I shared in Sunday school that uh, we have made matters of prayer specifically for you that will be kind of holding the ropes. I don't know if that term means anything here in this country, but we have a large tent that we set up around the United States and preach the gospel under it. And there are times whenever a tent, Brother Larry, can be uprooted by a strong windstorm and those stakes that are holding that tent to the ground can be pulled out of the ground. And we've had a couple of occasions, not while I've been preaching underneath it, but some other places where the tent has been set up, where the stakes came out of the ground, and you need people to hold the ropes. And you'll go and actually have people holding those ropes in place so that tent doesn't collapse. Well, you folks are our rope holders. I want you to know that. Holding us up before the Lord and praying for us while we're in Kenya. And so we count on you to do that. And I also want to say this as I invite you to take your Bible and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 6. I want to say a giant thank you to Bethel Free Baptist Church for your support of us financially uh, down through the years. I want you to know that every place we go around the United States, around the world, and preach the gospel, every soul that is saved, you share in that. You really do. Uh, you say, well, Brother Dave, you're the preacher. Your family are the ones that provide the music. And yes, that's all true. But if you were not praying for us and praying for God's power on us, then uh, no matter what we did, no matter what was sung, no matter what was preached, it wouldn't have the anointing of God on it. And so every soul that is saved, you share in that. You really do. So I want you to understand what we're going to do in Kenya, you are a vital part of. And uh, apart from your prayer support, your financial support, we wouldn't be able to go to Kenya or any other place for that matter. And so we love you folks. Again, as Brother Larry said, 2006 was our last time to be here. It, it, in one sense, it doesn't seem that long. In another sense, it seems longer than that because for a number of years, we were a vital part of this ministry every year, every year and a half coming and speaking. And our schedule has gotten such that we've just not been able to do that. That's our loss. And uh, I wish we could be back more frequently. But it is an honor. It's a privilege and blessing to be here at this time. Now I want to ask you a question before we turn our attention to the scriptures. How many of you know who Martha Stewart is? Martha Stewart, she is a food preparer in the United States. She is on television, I think, in the United States, maybe other countries. Anybody know who I'm talking about? Martha Stewart, Brother Carl of all people. You're a connoisseur of the food programs. All right, Martha Stewart. Well, for those of you who don't know who Martha Stewart is, she is uh, a very prominent figure in the United States, and she has a television program where she prepares all these incredible food items. A number of years ago, Martha Stewart was actually charged with insider trading. Insider trading. Now, let me ask this. How many of you know what insider trading is? Insider trading, all right? A number of you know. For those of you who don't know, let me explain. Insider trading, the technical definition of it is this. It is the trading of a company's stocks or securities by individuals who have access to information that is not of 
available to the general public. Let me repeat that. Insider trading is the trading of a company's stocks or securities by individuals who have access to information that is not available to the general public. Let me explain what had happened in Martha Stewart's case. Martha Stewart had bought 4,000 pieces of stock in a pharmaceutical company. That pharmaceutical company was working on a cancer drug that was going to be released to the American public and ultimately to the global public. Well, two weeks before that drug was to be released, Martha Stewart got an inside tip, Brother Larry, that that drug had not been passed by the FDA, which is the Food and Drug Administration in the United States. They were not going to allow the drug to go to the public. So because of that, she knew the prices of her stock, her 4,000 pieces of stock, would plummet to the basement because she had this inside tip. She very quickly sold her 4,000 pieces of stock while she could still get premium prices for it. Two weeks later, the rest of us found out that that drug wasn't going to be released to the public. And those that own stock in that company, and by the way, I was not one of them, but anyway, those that own stock in the company saw the price of their stock go to the basement and they had to sell it and virtually get nothing out of it. Martha Stewart, because of an inside trading tip, had a distinct advantage over everybody else that owns stock in that pharmaceutical company. The fact is, Brother Larry, in the United States of America, you cannot get a tip like that and get an advantage over everybody else. It's called insider trading and it's illegal. It's against the law. Martha Stewart, accused of insider trading, was brought to trial, and in the trial, she lied. Brother Larry, she actually served jail time, not for insider trading, but for lying under oath. Now may I say this, I've worked with a lot of politicians in our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., and a lot of politicians get into trouble. May I say this, it is generally not the first initial infraction that gets a politician in trouble. It's lying about the thing after the fact. It's always best to tell the truth. Amen? It's always best to tell the truth. Well, Martha Stewart should have just told the truth. Look, I got an inside tip. She did not say that. She lied about it and ended up serving jail time in a prison, Brother Larry, in Alderson, West Virginia. Have you ever been to Alderson, West Virginia? All right, if you've not been there, you haven't missed a lot because to get to Alderson, West Virginia, you drive to the end of the world and turn left. That's how you get to Alderson, West Virginia. It is in the middle of nowhere. Martha Stewart is a very wealthy woman. I've often wondered what it must have been like. It surely was culture shock for her to arrive in Alderson, West Virginia and serve over a year worth of jail time for lying under oath brought up on charges of insider trading. Now you say, Brother Kistler, why are you talking about insider trading? Because I want to show you something from the scriptures this morning that I am calling life's greatest insider trading tip. Now this is not illegal, it is not immoral. In one sense, Brother Larry, it's not an inside tip at all. You say, why is that the case? Because do you know everybody pretty much today can have access to a Bible if they will buy one? So it's not an inside tip in one sense, but in another sense it is. People that have a Bible, sometimes don't read it, and people that read the Bible sometimes don't read it enough to know this incredible piece of information that I'm about to show you from the Scriptures that I'm calling life's greatest insider trading tip. By the way, I just heard this recently, Brother Larry. Did you know the Bible is still the world's best-selling book? The world's best-selling book. It's not the best-read book, but it is the best-selling book. I wish the people that bought it would actually read it. If they would, they would come across this incredible piece of information you're going to see this morning from the pages of Matthew chapter number 6. You say, Brother Kistler, what is the passage you're going to read from? Look at Matthew 6, verse number 19. Follow along with your eyes as I read it out loud. Life's greatest insider trading tip. Now, follow along as I read. This is Jesus himself speaking. In verse 19 of Matthew 6, he says this. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Watch carefully, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now what I want to do this morning is this. I want to show you that Jesus presents in the verses that I've read to you three things, three ideas, but Brother Larry, he presents them to us in groupings of two. Three ideas, and under each idea there is a grouping of two. That is, you've got to choose between the two. You can't have both, you can't do both. You say, Brother Kistler, I'm not following you. Well, stay with me and I think you'll understand where we're going. Look again at Matthew 6, 19. The first thing Jesus points out is two methodologies. 
two methodologies. You say, what do you mean by methodologies? I mean two methodologies of living life. You can choose to live life one of these two ways. You can't do both. You have to choose one. Two methodologies. You say, what are the two methodologies? Look again at verse 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. By the way, if I might say this, and I'm not trying to impress you, that entire phrase, lay not up for yourselves treasures, that entire phrase is actually one word in the original Greek language. And it is the Greek word thesarizo. Thesarizo. Anybody ever heard the word thesarizo before? All right, you have. By the way, the word thesaurus comes from the word in Greek, thesarizo. Anybody know what a thesaurus is? Thesaurus, it's, it's a treasury or a collection of words. When the Bible uses the word thesarizo, lay not up for yourselves treasures, it literally means this, treasure not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. Jesus says, don't do that. See, the fact is this, the first methodology by which we could choose to live life is this, hoard up things on earth. Jesus says, don't do that. Do not opt for that methodology of living life. Well, why does Jesus say don't do that? Well, look at the rest of verse 19. If we treasure up treasure here on earth, the Bible says this, one of three things is going to happen to it. The first thing is this, moths are going to get it. Moths are going to get it. Now, look up at me for a second. Let me give you an illustration. Brother Larry, a number of years ago, uh, we were gone from our home in North Carolina, traveling all over America in our trailer for seven months. Seven months. Now, if you're going to be gone seven months, you've got to get all of your stuff that you're going to have, that you're going to need for seven months out of the house and into the trailer. That means you've got to get all your clothes. You've got to get the iron. You've got to get the, you know, the, 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 the vacuum cleaner from the house and put it in the trailer. And by the way, uh, we learned this, Miss Riff, because some things you buy double of. You have you know, two irons. One stays in the house. One goes in the trailer. You have two vacuum cleaners. One stays in the house. One goes in the trailer. But you can't buy double clothes. I mean, you can't buy double suits. You know, like, and that's ridiculous. So, Pastor, we're trying to get everything from the house into the trailer and I thought this I thought you know I'd gotten my favorite white shirt and by the way don't laugh I didn't bring one with me this time I had to go out and buy one yesterday didn't I but anyway I thought I'd got my favorite white shirt by the way there's a store in North Carolina called Target Do they have Target in England some people call it Target they kind of put a French pronunciation on it you know and kind of dress it up but it's a department store in America called Target and they will sell name brand shirts at a greatly reduced price for example I went to Target and I found this white shirt it became my favorite white shirt it normally would cost you in American dollars about 75 American dollars however at Target they sold it for 10 American dollars about uh, what would that be about 8 pounds 8 British pounds 6 British pounds somewhere in there and, and that's a good price isn't it so I bought this shirt it's 100% cotton. Brother Larry, you can iron it, you know, starch it. It'll stand in the corner by itself without you in it, you know. It'll look really, really nice. And so I bought this shirt, and I thought I'd put it in the trailer for the seven months that we're going to be away preaching the gospel. Well, we get to our first place, and I'm getting out the clothes, and uh, I, I do some of the ironing. I hate to admit that, but anyway, I was going to iron my shirt that night before the first service, and I realized I'd left my favorite white shirt in North Carolina. Seven months I don't have it frustrating. We get home at the end of seven months. I grabbed all of our dirty clothes out of the trailer. I threw them on the front seat of the car. I grabbed uh, some things out of the house, one of which was my favorite white shirt that was still hanging in my closet. Took it off the hanger, threw it on the front seat of the car. I'm heading to the cleaners to have everything clean. Brother Larry, I arrive at the cleaners and the guy says, uh, how do you want your shirts pressed? I said, well, I'd like them pressed with heavy starch. So they'll stand in the corner by themselves. He said, yeah, I remember you say that. And uh, he said, when would you like to pick them up? I said, can I pick them up in three days? He said, oh, yes, absolutely. Three days they'll be ready. So I go back in three days to pick up all of my, my laundry. And I've made a habit, Brother Larry, of doing this, picking the plastic up that they, they cover the, the clothes with after they clean them. Pick the plastic up and look especially at the shirts because I'm a messy eater and I dribble things all over my clothes. I want to make sure they got the spots out of my shirts. And bro Brother Larry, I picked up the plastic to look at my laundry and front and center was my favorite white shirt. It was clean, but the tail of the shirt, this part of the shirt from basically here over and down, this part of the shirt was gone. It was missing. And I'm standing there looking and I looked at my... The guy who does my cleaning, I, I said, what, what did you do to my, my white shirt? My favorite white shirt. He said, sir, I didn't do anything to your shirt. You brought it in here looking like that. 
I said, no, I did not. I would know if one-fourth of my shirt was gone when I brought it in here. I did not bring it in here like that. He said, oh, but you did. I said, no, I didn't. Now, what I thought had happened, Brother Curtis, is they have these big irons, you know, at the cleaners, and I thought they'd gotten it too hot and it scorched, you know, one-fourth of my shirt off. So I voiced that to him. I said, what you've done is you've scorched away one-fourth of my shirt. He said, no, I've not done that. He said, come closer. Let me show you something. He said, uh, how long have you been gone from your house? I said, well, we've been gone seven months. He said, well, you've had some visitors move into your house while you've been away. I said, really? What are their names? He said, well, their last name is the Moths. I said, what are you talking about? He said, come close. I want to show you something. And Brother Larry, he showed me that the moths had eaten away one-fourth of my shirt. And they had. Now, by the way, I'm going to let you know a little secret. I still wear that shirt, Brother Larry. I do. Because most of it's tucked in and you never see the part that's gone anyway. It's my favorite shirt. Do you know what? The moths got it. Do you understand if we treasure up treasure here on earth, we run the risk of everything we've hoarded, down here we run the risk of the moths getting it. So don't opt for methodology number one, treasuring up treasure here on earth. Well, if the moths don't get it, look at the next phrase. Something else is going to happen. The rust is going to consume it. If we treasure up treasure here on earth, the moths don't get it, the rust will. By the way, how many of you drove a car to church this morning? Have you ever heard, Brother Carl, of a thing called dissimilar metal corrosion? The fancy term for it is called electrolysis. Anybody heard of that, electrolysis? Lay people in our country call it dissimilar metal corrosion. It's where two dissimilar metals touch each other. Do you know if part of your car is made out of one type of metal and there are screws that hold the metal together, which there's screws all over our cars, and that screw is made out of a different metal than the sheet metal that makes up the body of the car, do you know when those two dissimilar metals touch each other, it creates a chemical reaction that causes rust to form? Do you know that you don't have to have water touching a car? You don't have to have anything acting on the car? You don't have to be driving it? If two dissimilar metals touch each other, rust will form. In fact, in America, they learned about that when we made the first airplanes that we flew in combat. The wings of the plane, the fuselage of the plane were made out of one metal. The rivets that riveted the metal together was a different metal and they didn't know this. The two dissimilar metals created rust and a guy told me, he said, Dave, if you put one of those early airplanes, just put it in a building and nothing touched it and you filmed it for 40 years and at the end of 40 years sped up the camera, you would actually see the plane disintegrating from rust because of dissimilar metal corrosion. Do you know why cars out here have dissimilar metals touching everywhere. Can you hear your car rusting right now? Because it is. Oh, preacher, you're a blessing. You're telling me my car's... It is. Do you know if the moths don't get the stuff we treasure up, the rust will. Now, I want to really be a blessing to you. Look at the last part of verse 19. If the moths don't get it and the rust doesn't consume it, you know what can happen? A thief can break through and steal it. And Miss Jane, I know years ago when we were with you one time, you were broken into. You had some things stolen. Do you remember that, Brother Larry? I remember that vividly, coming home and a window open. And I remember you saying this ominous tone to your voice, I think we've been broken into. And I remember you going upstairs and trying to assess what was gone. And I remember my wife and I meeting, and we, it, it wasn't that we weren't appreciating your pain, we were, but I remember we met in the living room. My wife and I said, I think, honey, we got out okay. I mean, everything's all right. We didn't have anything stolen. And then I remember my wife looking over at the piano that was in your living room, and she said, uh-oh, and it had a real ominous sound of that, uh-oh. I said, honey, what's wrong? She said, Rachel's violin was sitting up on top of that piano. Remember when that violin was stolen? Remember you found it a little later, miraculously. Hey, look, if we store up stuff down here, treasured up down here, if the moths don't get it, the rust will. If the rust doesn't consume it, a thief can break through and steal it. Don't treasure up treasure on earth. Look at verse 20. Opt for methodology number two. But, verse 20 says, treasure up for yourselves, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where none of the things I've just mentioned, the moths, the rust, the thieves, can't get to it. Look at verse 21. For where your treasure is, 
present tense. Now I want you to watch. Where your treasure is right now, presently, there will future tense your heart be also. Do you know what the Bible is saying? Where you put the emphasis, where you put your treasure right now, understand at some point in the future, your heart is going to get drawn there. You say, I'm not following you. Brother Larry, let me illustrate it this way. Years ago, a guy came to me and he said this. He said, Brother Kistler, he said, I know you travel all over the United States. You travel all over the world. I said, yes, I do. He said, well, you go to foreign countries. And he said, when you go to a foreign country, he said, I'm sure that costs you some money. And I said, well, it does, but the Lord always provides. He said, well, he said, I want to make a suggestion to you. He said, have you ever thought about selling life insurance as well as being a preacher? I said, well, no, really, I've never thought about selling life insurance as well as being a preacher. He said, oh, Dave, this would be a wonderful, wonderful partnership. You could be a preacher and tell people how to get eternal life, you know, know they're going to heaven, but you could also help them with their physical, earthly life insurance. I said, why would that be such a good deal? He said, because you meet so many people. You could, you could sell life insurance to those dear friends of ours over there in England. I mean, you could talk to Brother Larry about his life insurance, Brother Carl about his life. I said, no, 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 I don't think that would work. He said, why not? I said, for a couple of reasons. Number one, I said, I believe the Bible says this, they that preach the gospel should live of the gospel. Now, it's not that I'm too good to work a second job. I've done that. I've carried brick and mixed mortar, you know, for brick masons to, to, to make ends meet. I'm not against that. But I said, I, I, you know, I just don't think this would work. He said, well, why else do you not think it would work? I said, well, number two, my dad used to tell me this, and he did. He said, look, son, if you're going to preach faith, live that way. Trust God to meet your need. And I said, the third reason I don't think this would work either is um, if I got to selling life insurance and I became good at it, you know where my heart would go? It wouldn't be the ministry. It would be the life insurance, right? Preacher, a few years later, a guy came to me and said, uh, Brother David, i got a suggestion for you. I said, it's not sell life insurance, is it? He said, oh, no, 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 no. He said, selling life insurance would never work. He said, health food products. You need to sell health food products. He said, you believe in exercising, don't you? I said, I do. He said, you go to the gym and work out, don't you? I said, I do. I believe in keeping myself healthy as much as possible. He said, I'm telling you, Dave, this would be a marriage made in heaven. You need to sell health food products. He said, you could get some extra income, you know, and you could use that income to travel all over the world. I said, no, 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 I don't think that'll work. He said, why not? I said, well, number one, I believe the Bible teaches they that preach the gospel should live of the gospel. My daddy taught me if you're going to preach faith, walk by faith yourself. And number three, if I got good at selling health food products, do you know what would happen the next time I saw Pastor Curtis? You know what I'd do? I'd say, Brother Larry, how are you feeling? And he'd say, I'm feeling great. And I'd look at him and say, really, are you? Because over the years, you haven't aged near as well as I have. I mean, you, you really haven't. By the way, I've got some vitamins that'll be just the thing for you, right? I'd want to sell him something. Everybody with me? Because where you put the emphasis, that's where your heart goes. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be at some point. See, folks, the fact is this. We got one of two choices to make. Live life for down here only, hoard up everything we can, or live life the way Jesus said live it, and that's lay up treasure in heaven. Well, Brother Dave, is it wrong to have things down here? No. No, it's not wrong. But if all we live for is down here, we've missed the point. Do you know the most important thing I will do, Brother Larry, probably this year, Perhaps the most important thing I will have done in 27 years of traveling the world will be what we're going to do next week in Kenya. And that's preach the gospel to thousands of unsaved Kenyans. Well, Brother Dave, how much did that cost you? I'm not going to tell you how much, but I will tell you this. It was a sizable amount. But Brother Larry, the fact is this. That sizable amount I've invested in kingdom work, I cannot take it with me, the money, beyond this life. So what I've opted to do, thank the Lord, is lay up some treasure in heaven. Not just hoard it up down here. Two methodologies.
Now I want you to watch. From two methodologies, Jesus moves to two mindsets. Two mindsets. You say, Brother Kister, where do you get that? Look at verse 22. Now, buckle in tight. I want you to see this. Look at verse 22. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But, verse 23, if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. Now, look up at me let me ask you something. Please be honest with me. Any of you ever read those two verses I just read from Matthew 6, verses 22 and 20? Any of you ever read those before? The light of the body is the eye. If your eye be single, everything about you will be full of light. But if your eye be evil, everything about you will be dark and how great that darkness will be. Any of you ever read that and come away just asking yourself a question? What does that mean? Miss Jane has done it. Miss Rifka has done it. Thank the Lord for these two ladies that were honest. I thought maybe it was only me that did not. What in the world is that talking about? The light of the body is the eye. Can I explain something to you? I didn't understand what that was talking about until very recently. Do you know there are Jewish colloquial expressions being used here? For example, in North Carolina, we use colloquial expressions. One of those colloquial expressions, Brother Larry, is this. God love them. God love them. Any of you ever heard that before? By the way, you can say anything about somebody. You can just demean them, criticize. Oh, the outfit they had on was ugly. God love them. I mean, you can say anything you want to as long as you follow it up with God love them. And that kind of covers it. You understand what I'm saying? Or another colloquial expression is this one. Bless their heart. Bless their heart. Did you see that lady in the ugly dress she was wearing? Bless her heart. As if that covers it. Colloquial expressions. The Jews had them too. Do you know to have a single eye was a Jewish colloquialism that meant you viewed life from a generous mindset. To have an evil eye was a Jewish colloquial way of saying you viewed life through a greedy mindset. Now let me put that in to help you understand. Look at verse 22. If thine eye be generous, if thine eye be generous, middle part of verse 22, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be greedy, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. And the last part of verse 23 says, and how great that darkness is going to be. You say, Brother Dave, I'm still not following you. Let me illustrate. How many of you remember one of my favorite stories at Christmas time? It originated in this country. It's called Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. Anybody know what? You know who my favorite character is in that story, Brother Larry? It's Bob Cratchit. Do you remember Bob? He's the guy who works managing the books for Ebenezer Scrooge. <laughs> Remember? And it's Christmas Eve at the start of the story. Do you remember? And Bob's filling out the paperwork and he's trying to get up enough courage to ask two things of Ebenezer. Number one, would you throw another log on the fire because I'm freezing in here. And number two, would you let me off one hour early because mom is at home preparing a meal for me and for the family and for the little cripple boy, you know, Tiny Tim. Remember Tiny Tim? Would you let me go home an hour early? And finally, Brother Larry, he gets up enough courage to ask Ebenezer, would you let me go home early? And do you remember Ebenezer's response? He thunders at Bob Cratchit, if I had my way, every idiot who went about with a Merry Christmas on his lips would be boiled in his own pudding with a stake of holly driven through his heart. No, you cannot get off early. Do you remember? Do you know what Ebenezer Scrooge is an example of? Somebody who lived life with an evil eye, greedy, stingy, Get everything you can. Keep it to yourself. Hoard it up down here. Is there any surprise as you read through that book? If you watch the movies, and there's been several of them made about him, every time you see Ebenezer, everything around him is dark. Except at the very end, where he has a change of heart. Do you remember? After the three, Christmas, past, present, and future, has a change of heart. And all of a sudden, he's a different guy, isn't he? But initially, he views life through a greedy mindset. 
if you live life that way, it's all about me, it's all about down here, then don't be surprised when everything about you ends up being dark. But if your eye be single, you view life through a generous way of looking at things, a generous mindset. Hey, don't be surprised if everything about you is light. Does the name R.G. Letourneau mean anything to anyone in here? R.G. Letourneau. Brother Larry, R.G. Letourneau was born in Portland, Oregon. At the age of 17, he was injured in an ironworks accident in Portland, Oregon. The doctors told him, as a 17-year-old, told his parents, you will never, son, mom and dad, your son will never walk again. The injury was too severe. But see, the doctors didn't know two things. They didn't know R.G. Letourneau's resolve, and they didn't know R.G. Letourneau's God. Not only did R.G. Letourneau walk again, he ran. And God began to use him. He became an entrepreneur in the United States. In fact, on D-Day, we call it, the Normandy invasion. Do you know much of the military hardware that went ashore on the Normandy invasion, the D-Day invasion? Much of that military equipment had R.G. Letourneau's name on it. He had designed it. He was a multi, multi-millionaire who loved Jesus with all of his heart. Do you know when R.G. Letourneau died, Brother Larry? He was supporting out of his own personal wealth, not his business wealth, his own personal accumulation of wealth. He was supporting 100 evangelists who would travel the world and preach the gospel. And he told those evangelists, look, I don't want you to have to worry about a single thing. I'm going to pay your salary every year, a hundred of you, so you can be free to think of nothing else but traveling the world and preaching the gospel. Do you know R.G. Letourneau, when he was a young man, started giving God 10% of his income and living on the other 90? God so blessed him, he became so successful, he said, I'd like to up the ante, Lord, a little bit. I'd like to start giving you 20%, and I'll live on the 80. And he didn't just say it, he did it. You know, God continued to bless him. He got to the place where he said, Lord, I'd like to give you 30% and live on 70 and he didn't just say it, he did it. And Brother Larry, he kept notching it up until he had totally inverted the paradigm. And he was living on 10% and giving God 90. You say, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say this. R.G. Letourneau got this principle. There's two mindsets. Greedy. It's all about here. It's all about me. Or generous. It's all about the Lord. It's all about reaching people with the gospel. Look, folks, I want to tell you something. There's two methodologies of life. Treasure it up here, treasure it up in heaven. Two mindsets. Can't do both. Got to choose. Greedy, generous. From two methodologies and two mindsets, I want you to notice Jesus gets to the heart of the issue. Look at verse 24 of Matthew 6. From two methodologies and two mindsets, Jesus mentions this, two masters. Two masters. Look at verse 24. No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to, cling to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and... What's the last word there? God and... Would you say it again? Mammon. What's a... If we had a thesaurus here today, what's a good synonym for mammon? You can't serve God and... Money. We use a phrase in North Carolina called stuff. How many of you know what stuff is? Your garage is full of stuff, right? Is it just our family or does it happen to you? We cleaned our garage out, Brother Larry. I mean, we didn't have enough room to put a car in it. We have ministry materials, tracks, music, we cleaned it all out, got it all up on shelves. It was pristine. It was beautiful, very organized. Do you know I went in there, raised the door before I came over here to get some things, and our stuff in the garage had had children. Do you know what I mean? Stuff is worse than rabbits. It has offspring rapidly. I mean, you cannot even go in there, but you go in later, and all this stuff, where did it all come? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? How did it get here? Stuff. You can't serve God. And serve stuff. Well, Brother Dave, you're saying it's wrong to have stuff. No. 
Notice verse 24 doesn't say you cannot have God and have mammon. Is it wrong to have money? No. Is it wrong to be wealthy? No. Listen, I wish I had time to go through this Bible and show you God blessed people through the Scriptures. Abraham was loaded down with cattle and silver and gold. He was a wealthy guy. Is it wrong to have stuff? No. But it's wrong for the stuff to have us. See, the Bible doesn't say you can't have God and have stuff. It says you can't serve God and be the servant of stuff. See, Brother Larry, uh, there was a time we didn't have a house. All we had was the trailer. 40 feet long, 8 feet wide. That's where we lived full time every day of our life. A 40 foot long by 8 foot wide travel trailer. Tiny little bathroom in there. The bathroom was so small you didn't have room in there to change your mind, much less change any of your clothes. <laughs> 40 feet long by 8 feet wide. Do you know, Brother Larry, those were some of the greatest days? How could that be great, Brother Dave? You're confined to a tiny little space. Because I never had to mow a yard. Never had to trim a bush. Man, I just showed up at churches in America. The yard was mowed for me, Brother Larry. It was awesome. Now we have a house. Are you thankful for the house? Yes. The wife needs a place for the womanly nesting instinct. You know, all you women want to have a place, and that's great. God made you that way. Don't you like the house? Of course. But you know what the house means? It means more stuff to have to think about. See, if you have a house, you have a garden, you call it over here. We call them yards in our country. And some of our yards are so big, you have to have a lawnmower power mower to mow it. One of those that you sit on and drive it like a car. We have to have one of those. Do you know that mower breaks down? That mower requires petrol. That costs money. And you know what? You can become consumed with just keeping up the stuff. And if we're not careful, we become a slave to the stuff. You can't serve God and serve stuff. Let me put it in terms maybe you can really understand. Brother Larry, I was in Miami, Florida, January a year ago. I'm standing at the back door of this big church in Florida, and a guy walks past me, and he shook my hand, and he said, Dave, I want to tell you something. He said, what you said tonight hit my heart. And I don't remember what I preached on, but I said something, you know, about how we're so materially blessed in the West, aren't we? By the way, I wish I could take all of you with me to Kenya. Our dear sisters back here from Nigeria, you know what I'm talking about. They're a hundred years behind us here, aren't they? The poverty was incredible. This two-lane road out here in Kenya, designed for two lanes of traffic, one going one direction, one going the other. Am I speaking the truth? In Kenya, there'll be five or six lanes of traffic trying to get up and down that road. It's insanity. I told my wife last year, I said, honey, when I get home, I want to get in my car. I want to drive to a two-lane road and just drive my car on a road designed for two lanes of traffic with just two lanes of traffic on it, not six lanes trying to go everywhere. The poverty is incredible. Do you know we are blessed? In fact, let me word it this way. We are cursed with materialism, aren't we? The poorest person in here, by Kenyan standards, is a millionaire. I'm in Miami, Florida, Brother Larry. This guy walks past me and said, Dave, I want to tell you something. You touched a nerve with me tonight. He said, I want to tell you my story. He said, Dave, before the U.S. economy started into a downturn, he said, I sell real estate, South Beach, Miami. He said, I'm not bragging. He said, check it out with a pastor. I asked the pastor, he said, Dave, everything that God told you is the truth. The guy said, Dave, before the economy headed down, he said, the year before all of that started, in one year I sold $30 million worth of real estate on South Beach. He said, my take was 30 million. 
So I sold a lot more than that. I made $30 million in one year. He said, Dave, I had a, have a house in Miami. He said, I had a house in Switzerland, cold country. He said, I have a house down in the Caribbean. And he said, I spent my time bouncing between the three houses, the one in Switzerland, the one in Miami, the one down in the Caribbean. He said, Dave, I had a classic car collection. He started naming the cars, Lamborghini, all of these fancy automobiles. He said, Dave, you know what? I'd be down in the Caribbean. And he said, I'd be relaxing in my beautiful home in the Caribbean. And he said, I couldn't sleep at night. I said, man, if you can't sleep in the Caribbean, something's wrong with you because the water lapping up against the shore, it is, I mean, it's like taking a tranquilizer. I mean, it is incredible, beautiful people, beautiful. How could you not sleep in the Caribbean? He said, let me tell you what was going through my mind. He said, I'm thinking about my garage with my 30 classic cars. He said, what I'm thinking is somebody's going to bypass the security system. They're going to get into my garage. They're going to take a key and they're going to go down the side of my cars and scratch all my cars and ruin my classic car collection. He said it was driving me nuts. He said, so you know what the Lord did? I said, what did the Lord do? He said, the Lord sent along economic trouble. He said, I had to sell the house in Switzerland. Had to sell the house in the Caribbean. He said, I still have the house in Miami. But he said, the last thing I let go of was the 30 classic cars. And Larry, he's saying all that to me with a grin on his face. I sold all 30 of them. He says, you know what I'm going to do when I finish talking to you? I said, no, what are you going to do? He said, I'm going to go home. He said, I'm going to put on my slippers. I'm going to have myself some popcorn and a Coke. And after I have popcorn and a Coke, I'm going to put my head on a pillow and I'm going to sleep just fine. See you tomorrow night. And he left. <laughs> you know what he was saying? Stuff doesn't bring fulfillment. Now, folks, listen to me. It doesn't. Things, money, earthly possessions don't satisfy, do they? How many of you know who Donald Trump is? Mega millionaire Donald Trump. Read his book several years ago called The Art of the Deal. The Art of the Deal. I wanted to know how a man that wealthy thinks. You know what he said in that book? I have no friends. No friends. Well, the Bible says money makes many friends. I would have thought you would have a lot. He said, no, no, no. In his book, he said, I have no real friends. And he said, here's why. To have friends, you have to trust people. And he said, to be honest with you, doing what I do, I don't trust anybody. So he said, I have no Friends. You know what I thought? What a miserable way to live. And what an even more horrible way to die. Sweetie, have you seen the picture there at Berea Baptist Church as you pull out of our development? When I left, when we left, they have a statement on their marquee sign. It says this, The poorest man in the world is the man whose only wealth is money. The poorest man in the world is the man whose only wealth is money. Now, I don't have a lot of this world's goods, but I have a lot of friends. And your pastor and his wife are two of my good friends. His family are some of my good friends. There are others that are friends. And I thank God for you. I consider myself incredibly wealthy. Because of the friends I have and the opportunity I have to serve the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's two methodologies by which we can approach life. Treasure up here, treasure up in heaven. Two mindsets by which we can approach life. Greedy, generous. It's two masters we can serve. We can serve the Savior or we can become the servant of stuff. Stuff's a horrible master. Preacher, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say at the beginning of this missions conference, we need to let God change our thinking. Folk, we're not going to live down here forever. In fact, I firmly believe this. I believe Jesus is coming back soon. 
from your amen, I think you are convinced he's coming back soon too. Boy, the times are such, aren't they? It's incredible. What are we going to do? Are we going to invest to reach people with the gospel? Are we going to hoard it up down here for it all to burn up one day? Or, or for our children to fight over? <laughs> our pastor used to say this, where there's a will, there's usually relatives. And there's truth to that, isn't it? Well, shouldn't I leave something for my children? Sure, but can I say this? If I could make a suggestion, don't leave enough that they're going to end up hating each other because they fight over it. Looks like to me it would be a better investment to lay up a little of that in heaven. Amen? Father, would you help us today not only to comprehend what you're saying in Matthew 6, help us not just to understand this truth, about two methodologies and two mindsets, two masters. But Lord, may we live in light of what we understand. Father, no matter what our station in life is economically, whether we have a lot or little, whether we're somewhere in the middle, Lord, no matter where we are economically, Lord, may we not allow ourselves to become the servant of things. But instead, Lord, may we understand the things that you've given us are tools to be employed, to be used for kingdom work. So Father, help us to take the resources, the automobile, the house. Lord, all the things that you've so richly blessed us with in this part of the world. And Lord, may we use them, invest them to win people to Christ. Father, I thank you for men I know that have a boat. Lord, some of them have sold possessions like that and given the money to the house of God, while others have not sold that item at all. They've taken it and used it to try to win people to Christ. Lord, I thank you for that dear brother down in Florida who used his speedboat to minister to young men and realized, Lord, young men like to ski and they enjoy things like that. And he said, take the boat, Dave. Take the young men from the youth group out on the boat. But if you're going to do that, you have to share the gospel with them. Lord, I thank you that he got it. That even that material possession was a tool to use for kingdom work. Father, may we view our possessions that way, that they're not ours. They're yours on loan to us. And so may we employ them wisely for the sake of the kingdom. And Lord, for what you do and how you work, we'll thank you and give you all the glory. Now friends, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want to ask you just a couple of very direct questions. I hope you know I love you enough that I'm asking these questions directly because I do care, and I do. Here's question number one. How many of you in the room can say absolutely sure Dave, I know that Jesus Christ is my Savior. Dave, if I were to drop dead of a heart attack before I could get out of the room today, I mean, something really weird were to happen, and I were to have a heart attack and drop dead, Dave, I know I would go to heaven because there's been a time in my life when I understood I was a sinner, that Jesus died for me, and I called on Jesus and asked him to forgive me and save me, and he did. And Dave, I know if I were to die today, I know I'd go to heaven. Friend, if you know absolutely sure that you'd go to heaven, if your life were to end today, you know you'd go to heaven because you've been what the Bible calls born again. You've been saved. Jesus is your Savior, and you know that. And you know you'd go to heaven if you died today. If you know that's true, would you lift your hand? Dave, I'd go to heaven if I died today. If you know that, would you just lift your hand and hold it up? long enough for me to see it. Dave, I know I'd go to heaven if I died today. I know I would because Jesus is my Savior. Thank you. God bless you. You may put your hand down. Thank you so much. Now I want to ask a second question. Is there anyone in the building? Could be several. Anyone that would say, you know what, Dave? I don't know. I do not know that if I were to die today that I'd go to heaven. I don't have that assurance. Well, friend, if you don't know you'd go to heaven if your life ended today, may I ask you this? Are you not concerned enough about your eternal destiny? Where you're going to spend forever? 
the life after this life on earth is over. The Bible calls it eternity. There is a life after this life. It'll be spent somewhere forever. Heaven is one place that you can go. Hell is the only other option. Which of those two places you go is determined by what you do with Jesus. Whether you accept Him, receive Him into your heart and life as your Savior, or whether you reject Him, you turn Him away. What I'm getting at is this. Is there anyone in the room today that would say, you know what, Dave, I could not raise my hand to the first question. I do not know that if I were to die today that I'd go to heaven. I don't have that assurance yet. Thank you. God bless you. I want to pray for you in just a second. Not by name, of course, but I'm going to pray. Are there any others that would lift your hand and say, Dave, do pray for me. I'm just being honest with you. I don't know. I don't have the assurance that if I were to die today that I'd go to heaven. But I would like you to pray for me. Are there any others you'd lift your hand long enough for me to see it? I'll take note of it and pray for you. Thank you. God bless you. Are there any others? Dave, pray for me as well. I'm just being honest. I do not have the assurance. Thank you. I don't have the assurance I'd go to heaven if my life ended today. Father, I do pray for these three dear, dear folks. Lord, they've lifted their hand without really any hesitation. And they're giving me the honor, the privilege of praying for them. And Lord, I do pray for them. With everything that's in me, I pray that you would continue your work in their heart. And Lord, what I'm asking is that you would so work in their life that they would not just lift a hand and let me pray for them, though I appreciate them doing this more than I can tell them. But Lord, I pray they wouldn't stop with merely lifting a hand and letting me pray. And then, Lord, attempt to go into the rest of this day still not sure where they're going to spend forever. Lord, rather than doing that, I pray that today, while you're speaking to them, that they would be willing to simply let someone take a Bible and from the Scriptures introduce them to you, Lord Jesus, the only one who can forgive their sin and save their soul and give them the assurance, the 100% assurance that heaven's going to be their eternal home. Father, may they be willing to get that settled today, I pray. And for what you do, O oh God, and how you work, I'm going to thank you and give you all the glory. Now, friends, with our heads still bowed and our eyes still closed, no one's looking but just me, and that is the truth. And I thank you for your cooperation. I don't know what you normally do here, but I'm going to do this this morning. I hope you'll permit me to do it. Now, no one's looking but just me. Pastor Larry, would, would you do me a favor? Would you just step to the back right there in that middle aisle or the aisle to my left here? Now, no one's looking but just me. That is the truth. Your pastor has his head bowed as well. So I'm the only one looking. If you were one of those that lifted your hand and let me pray for you, I want to thank you for giving me that privilege, that honor. It was a thrill and an honor to pray for you. But I want to ask you one other thing. If you're really not sure where you're going to spend forever once this life's over, and you are genuinely concerned about that, I want to simply give you an opportunity to do something. Now, no one's looking but just me. That is the honest truth. If you lifted your hand, you know who you are, you know where you are in the room, as do I. But more importantly, God knows everything about you, and friend, He loves you. He brought you here today to hear the truth. If you'd like to know that Jesus is your Savior, if you'd like to be able to leave today not wondering, not hoping, but knowing when you die you're going to heaven, I want to just simply give you an opportunity to do something while no one's looking but just me. I wonder if you'd be willing just to get up from where you're seated and step to the back where Pastor Larry is standing and he'll simply put someone with you that will take a Bible and from the Bible introduce you to Jesus Christ, the greatest friend you will ever have. If you'd be willing to step to the back, I just want to give you a chance to do that right now. I'm not twisting your arm. I'm not trying to make you do something. I, I couldn't do that if I wanted to. I just want to give you an opportunity to let someone just take a Bible and introduce you to Jesus Christ. You could step to the back right now, even as we wait. No one's looking but me.
bless your heart. Well, David, I just don't know where I stand with God. You can know. God wants you to know where you're going to spend eternity. He wants you to know. You can know. Friend, I know when I die I'm going to heaven. It's not because I'm a good guy. It's not because I've done a lot of good things. I'm a preacher's son. But folk, I'm a sinner just like anybody else is. And I needed a Savior. And thankfully, one day I heard about Jesus loving me. Dying on an old rugged cross. Rising again the third day from the dead. And He did all that for me. And I asked Him, after being showed from the Scriptures how He could save me and forgive me, I asked Him deliberately on purpose to come into my heart and life. And He did. And He changed my life. You can have that same peace and joy that passes all human understanding. It comes through knowing Jesus as Savior. One last thing I want to say. Christian friends, I hope you understand what Jesus is saying in Matthew 6. Two methodologies by which we can approach life. Treasure up things here or treasure up in heaven. Two mindsets. Greedy or generous. Got to choose one. Two masters we can serve. Either we can serve our Lord or we can serve stuff. Stuff is a horrible master. It's a great tool, but it's a horrible master. The material possessions, Christian friends, are just tools to be used in serving the King of Kings. Now, Father, I pray you would help us today to begin rethinking some things. And over the course of the rest of the next three days, Lord, we're calling it a missions conference. But Lord, if we're going to have a missions heart, we've got to have a mission mindset. We've got to view things from your perspective. So Father, I pray from today's message, you would begin changing us. and Help us to begin less, begin living less for down here and more for eternity's sake, with eternal values in view. And Lord, we'll be careful to give you all the praise, all the glory, all the honor. In Jesus' precious name, I do ask all these things. Amen. Would you look up at me for just a moment? Brother Larry's going to come and close the service. I just want to share one last thing with you as an illustration, hopefully to put an exclamation point on what's been said today. It was January a year ago, I got a phone call, actually it would have been in December, from a gentleman named Tim Winder. Tim lives in the United States, north of us in the state of Pennsylvania. Tim said, Dave, I'm driving down, first part of January, to your house, a 40-foot motor coach. It's one of these motor homes that you drive to live in. I think you saw it sitting in our driveway when you came to our home. For all of our ministry, we've traveled across the United States in a travel trailer. This is a, it's a nice thing, very comfortable thing, very expensive thing if you had to buy it. Tim had bought it years ago for his business. He said, Dave, I really don't need it as much as I used to need it. And he said, I don't travel in it and use it for my business like I used to. And he said, the Lord just laid you on my heart. He said, if you could use it, I'm going to give it to you. I said, well, Tim, man, I'm overwhelmed. That's a nice gift, incredibly nice gift. I said, Tim, I can't take it. He said, no, if you can use it, I'm going to give it to you. I said, well, no, I, to be honest with you, I was hesitant to take it because it was just too nice of a gift. Number two, Brother Larry, if something ever goes wrong with that, it's a lot of money to repair. And then just to put fuel in it is a lot. So I wasn't sure, you know, what kind of shape it's in, but it was just too nice a gift. He said, no, Dave. He said, just tell me, could you use it if I gave it to you? I said, well, yes. At this stage in our life, yes, it would be ideal. He said, all right, it's yours. I'm driving it down in January. Brother Carl, he drove it down, backed it into our driveway, handed me the keys. Next day, he went through everything about it. Here's how this operates and so on. Big learning curve on all of that, by the way. But anyway, he said, it's yours. Folk, look, the thing was almost brand new. Now, it's not brand new, 15 years old, but it was pristinely kept. I said, Tim, why are you doing this? 
Tim is a businessman, and he said, Dave, look. He said, my life is not about just making money, though God has blessed me. He said, what God blesses me with, I want to use as tools to invest in reaching people with the gospel. He said, if I can give you this gift, and you can use it to reach people with the gospel, that's a much wiser investment than me just keeping it myself. Do you understand he gets the principle we've talked about today? It's not about hoarding up down here. It's not about having a lot of toys. It's about investing for eternity. Have you seen the bumper sticker that's so prevalent in our country? He who dies with the most toys wins. Any of you ever seen that? I want to have my own bumper sticker. It says this, he who dies with the most toys dies. Because none of those toys are going with us into eternity. I've never seen a hearse pulling a boat behind it. Boat isn't going to heaven. The boat isn't going to hell. It's just things to use, hopefully to invest for eternity. Amen? Amen. Mm -hmm.